We at Refuge Ministries are so blessed by the success of Refuge Freedom Stories and podcasts. In addition, we focus on youth prison ministry, release kits, and many other diverse outreaches to the needs of our community. As a nonprofit, there are many costs involved, however, and we are asking for your support. Financial gifts can be made via our website at www.refugeministriescanada.com or by calling 519-701-0108. Your giving makes this work possible, and we thank you in advance for your support. God bless you. Welcome to Refuge Freedom Stories, brought to you by Refuge Ministries Canada. For the next half hour, your hearts will be filled with hope as you hear real-life stories from individuals that have been changed by the power of God. Enjoy the show. Hi, this is Dave Shearer, the host of Refuge Freedom Stories. Today I'm with a wonderful guy. He's kind of my street son, Jay and I love him very much, and I'm proud of him and where he's come from and where he is today, the struggles that he still has, and the way that he overcomes them through the power of Christ and through the power of God. Hi, Jay. How are you today? You doing all right? I'm all right, considering what's happened, but yes, today I am doing pretty good, and along with my wife, I think we've moved forward in life a lot further than I ever would have if I didn't meet her. Yes. And so, tell us your story, Jay. Well, it started out in Dorchester, where I was a young kid, actually, about 10, 11 years old, and I started selling crack cocaine and doing stuff, all due to my father. But part of biker organization is what we will say. Yeah, your father was associated. Yes, and he was pretty violent, pretty abusive, you know, came from a really rough family. In fact, he assaulted my mom, my sister, also myself, not just physically, sexually. So he was a man that, well, in short form, I would say you couldn't trust. Yeah. He was someone who cared about nothing but himself. And he put things forward as if this is the lifestyle, you don't live it, you die. And where I came from back then, like I lived in Dorchester at the time and grew up out there. And, you know, he was one of those men that if you messed up, you got beaten. If you didn't get A's or you didn't pass in school, you got beaten. You know, anything that he didn't approve of, basically, you're his target. He was very abusive, very violent, into the drugs, into everything else. And like I said before to you, I know it wasn't on the record, and this is. However, he was a man who, due to multiple partners, the paperwork said, father unknown. However, he was a man who adopted me from children's aid. And he was my father to me over all the years because I don't know my real father. Right. And when he got me into the drugs and then he started drinking with me at a young age, I was 15 when he handed me my first beer. We started drinking in his home. I came home every night. 
I would get up in the mornings at four o'clock. I would make his lunch for work. He worked at GM. I would make his lunch. I would make my lunch. I would make my sister's lunch for school and stuff. I'd wake her up. I'd get us ready, everything, and then I'd send him off. At nighttime, after he was done at the bar, he'd come home. Sometimes the bartender would call me, and I'd have to take cab out there, and I'd have to drive him home at a young age without a license. Yeah. And bring him home, put him to bed, take his clothes off, tuck him into bed, everything else, and... You know, take care of my dad. And I felt that, yes, I knew it wasn't right, but at the same time, I felt like I was doing the right thing because I was taking care of my father. And I did what I knew. Like, that's how I was raised, is look after your family. I also felt that, you know, I know there's things that could have been done about it, and I know I could have went to somebody and stuff like that. But at the same time, I was also raised in that biker lifestyle where you don't be a rat. Yeah. That's what they call it. Yeah. Right, and to do that, that would also cause, like I said before, abusive, a beating, possibly death. You never yeah, know. Yeah. And on his state of mind, being an alcoholic and being who he was and stuff like that, and I know, again, not mentioning names or clubs, but you knew who my father was. That's right. And you knew what he was like. And I know that that doesn't mean nothing right now. I know in a way it does, but it doesn't. However, I love the man, no matter what he did. You know, I didn't condone him for what he did. I didn't say nothing to him. But I did do one thing that I still regret till this day because he was family. And that was knowing that he had five different bank accounts. Mm -hmm. And my mother and sister were in danger. Yes. So I took his one bank card and I emptied an account which had $250,000 in it. Yeah. I then handed the money to my sister and my mom and I said, look, it's time for you to go. Yeah. I said, get out of the house, go to a motel, go wherever you got to go. And I said, I'll take it from here. Mm-hmm. My mom then said to me, she goes, you're crazy. What are you going to do? She goes, how are you going to do this? How are you going to get a hold of us? And I said, mom, you have a cell phone. Yeah. She goes, yes. I said, I know the number, right? She goes, yes. I said, then don't be stupid. I said, take the money and go. So they did that. My dad returned from work that night, as usual, drunk, out of his mind, completely gone, very, very violent mood. And he looked at me and he goes, where's your mom? Where's your sister? And I said to him, that doesn't matter. I need to talk to you. And he goes, I don't care what you want to say. I want to know where your mother and your sister. And I said, I'm not telling you. And he said, that raises an issue. And I said, well, the issue is you and he looked at me and he said oh he goes so now i gotta beat out of you and i said well if that's what it takes dad and if that's what you feel and i said if that's how things are gonna go i said then so be it i said but i'll tell you right now you'll never see them again and he goes what do you mean by that and i said check your bank accounts and he did exactly that When he got off the phone with the bank and realized his one account was empty, he went and grabbed two more beers from the fridge without saying a word. He cracked them both, that one in front of me, one in front of him. He had a little pocket knife on him. He pulled it out. He came at me. I had a Rambo knife on my side. I didn't pull it on my dad, no. I took it out of the sheath and set it on the table. And I looked at him and I said, what the hell is that? That's a dinky car. I said, this is a knife. And he looked at me and he goes, uh. And I said, yeah, uh, what? And he goes, hold on a minute. And he folded that knife back up. He put it in his pocket and he sat back down and goes, I want to have a beer with my son. And I said, dad, 
that's the best choice you've made ever, and I love you. I said, however, what's done is done. And I said, now they're gone. Yeah. And I said, I'm sorry, but like I said before, you'll never see them again. And that's a lot to carry, Jay. At that time, I was 12 years old. And my dad looked at me when he was done drinking that beer with me, and he looked at me and he goes, I should just kill you. He goes, I should boot you. He goes, in fact, here. And he handed me two shotguns. And he said, go out to the garage and saw these off and file them down for me because I, I know you know what you're doing. And at that age, I kind of looked at him and I thought, eh, but I did know what I was doing. I'm not going to lie. And I did what he said. I went back into the house. I handed him one. He handed me one. He put shells in the guns yeah. and cocked them. And he handed me mine and handed him his. Next thing you know, there's pounding on the back door. The police are there. Well, obviously, you know what happened then. The guns are hidden. I went and answered the door myself as a young kid, and they said to me, we need to see your father. And I said, he is in bed. I lied. He's at the kitchen table around the corner, and the back door's in the back end of the house. So I said to him, well, he's in bed. Why? What's going on? Well, that night, just before he got home, he drove home a friend's car, so I knew something was going on already. And when he pulled in, he pulled in kind of sideways, and the car was kind of sideways on the front lawn and in the driveway. And I said to him, Dad, are you all right? And he goes, I'm a little drunk, but I'm okay. And when this happened, I then looked at the cop and I said, why? What's the problem, officer? He turned to me and he said, your father was in a hit and run accident and rolled his vehicle. It's in the field out on Shaw Side Road. And I said, what are you talking about? I said, his truck's in the driveway. I looked out the window and I didn't see his truck. He was crawling across the floor, heading to the bedroom, trying to hide. And I then knew what was going on. I turned and I looked at the officer and I said, well, I'm sorry to hear that. And I said, but he's in bed and I'm not waking him up. And they said, well, he's got a warrant and we need to speak with him. And I said, well, as his son, I feel that you guys need to get off the property. And I shut the door and I locked it. And I put the extra security locks on and turned the alarm on the house. Well, they sat there for about an hour in their cars. I don't, don't ask me what they were doing. I don't know. But they drove away. They yeah. came back the next morning. My sister was there getting ready for school. I had left for school already because I also worked custodian work at the school. So I had to go in and turn on the lights and mop the floors and stuff like that. I worked at the high school when I was going to school at the same yeah. time. And the police showed up at the door. and They asked for my dad again. Well, he was just getting ready to leave for work. It was 6 o'clock in the morning, and he had just walked out of the bathroom in a towel. And the cops look at my sister and go, is that him? She goes, no, that's my brother. Obviously, his picture's on their thing, right? So they looked at their computer, and they looked at my sister, and they said, you're lying. They said, you realize we'll arrest you for, you know, whatever it was, contempt, this and that. And my sister looked at him and goes, I'm 8 years old. You can't do that. And she's right. You can't charge someone with adult charges at eight years old. They just get, what? What are you talking about? The parents get it. So she kind of laughed, and she slammed the door. Well, the cop put his foot in the door. She then looked at him, and this is the biggest mistake of her life she ever made, was when the cop looked at her and had his foot in the door, she opened it and slammed it again. And she looked at the cop, and she goes, you don't remove that foot out of my door, and I'll blow your foot off. So then the officer looked at her and goes, well, I take that as a threat. And my sister said, well, I'll tell you right now, that is my dad, but you're not taking him. My dad came out of the bedroom. He walked out into the front room, walked over to the door, looked at the police officers. 
explained his side of the story, which didn't care anyways because he was drunk and driving, which is illegal. And they said to him, we're sorry, you did this and you caused an accident. You rolled your vehicle and you sideswiped an old lady in her car, nonetheless, and took her right off the road. So he was charged with attempted murder, actually, and he hadn't been charged since he was 18 years old and he was about 57 years old at the time. He hasn't been to jail since he was 18 years old and they gave him 18 months in jail because of this accident. So Jay, what I want to do is kind of look at where you are today and how you got there. Like that's a lot of stuff you've carried Um, over the years. Today and how I got there was, like I said before, a lot of drugs, a lot of alcohol, a lot of abuse, this and that. And what brought me to this was, over the years, I dated a lot of women that were involved in trafficking and this and that and drugs and whatever, and I got involved. But then I met my wife, and I'm not going to mention her name because I don't know if she wants me to. But long story short was uh, I've known her for over 30 years and I've been trying to get with her and this sounds a little dirty, but even when I was with someone, I tried getting with her because I've loved her since day one. And she knew that. And every time I tried, she'd run away because we all know who she is, the runner. Anyways, (laughs) long story short on that one too. uh, One day I gave up and I just sat downtown. I was at Dundas and Richmond. And I went for a coffee at the Tim Hortons and she came up to me and she looked at me and she goes, Jay, I'm ready to go home. I need help. So I said to her, are you lying to me? And I said, are you actually ready to go home? She goes, yes, I want to go home. So what did I do? I was drinking. I was doing a lot of things down there. And I looked at everybody that I was friends with downtown here, everywhere I've been. And I told him, I said, you know what guys, my wife's home and I walked away. And I brought her home, and for the past five years, we have done nothing but, you know, struggle, yes. Not going to lie, it's been a struggle, and there was a few times I slipped. Yeah. But at those times, and I've told you about them. I know, but also, there's a God factor here. There is. How did that come in? The God factor came in when, well, first of all, I met you. Then I met some of the guys from the Heaven Saints Church, and... You know, at first I didn't know how to take it because I was kind of like, this looks like uh, another biker thing. I might be in trouble, this and that. Am I getting trapped? What's going on? I didn't know. But then I met Mike and his wife. Mike Redman. Yep. And they were great people. They used to do the hot dogs down here for homeless people, everything. And I went and they know who I am now. I invited Mike to my wedding, everything for my first marriage. And, you know... I started talking to him first. And one day, again, I was really messed up on drugs. And I was walking down Dundas Street near Quebec. And I happened to see an open sign on the Heaven Saints Church. So I saw food. On top of that, drugs, food. Oh, my God, you got the munchies. So (laughs) I went in there, not thinking, what is this place? Didn't even think of it, right? Walked in, and I saw Mike and his wife. Well, immediately, they came to me. And Gail and Mike both immediately arms open you know we're happy to see you this and that you look a little messed up brother is what Mike said to me Mm And I said, I am, I need some help. He looked at me and he goes, we're here. Yeah. And he goes, we have your back, we're here for you. Yeah. He goes, I've known you since you were a kid, this and that, and I've known you on the streets when you were homeless. And he said, what do you need? And I said, I need some food, I need God, I need whatever you can give me, yeah. but preferably God. And he looked at me and he goes, I think we can do that. Yeah. And he goes, I have a friend I want you to meet. And I looked at Mike at first and I was kind of sketchy. I was like, uh, you know, I don't like meeting new people, this and that. 
that, you know, uh, I don't know. And I started eating the chips and the donuts and everything. That It was for the kids, honestly, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> <laughs> but they let me do it. Yeah. And then Mike said to me, I want you to meet Dave Shear. I looked at Mike and I said to him, I said, who the heck is that? Yeah. And he goes, well, to be honest, he is... A really close friend of mine, and also, I don't know if I should say it, but a close member of the church, is what I'll say. Yeah. And he's one of the members of the congregation. So I said, okay, I would love to meet him. And then a few months down the road, I met you. And of course, I was still involved in drugs, as we all know, and stuff like that. I was struggling still, and I was, it was pretty rough. You know, I was still being beaten, molested, and stuff like that. And I never told anybody other than my wife and my mother. Never reported to the police. Never did any of that. And till this day, they don't know about it. Because I feel that, really, knowing what I know and knowing what I've been through and what my friends have been through I feel there's no justice in the justice system right now I mean there might be I don't know but as my feelings go and after what I went through past few months and what the police have done to my wife myself and Mm -hmm. everything else I just feel that you know my best bet would be to stick with like I said my friends you and God and the ark where I'm now been employed by and God will never let you down. I'm so proud of you. Like you're you're volunteering uh, the Arcade Street Mission, and we have rented the YMCA, and you guys are serving meals and counseling people. You've come so far, Jay, and I see God all over you. I mean, we have many midnight conversations and prayers and. You know, like, life is still a struggle, but God is getting you through. Very much so, and I appreciate that you coming by my house. I appreciate you coming and talking to me. Phone, driveway, wherever I meet up with you, even at your own home, even. Yeah. I appreciate everything you've done for me. I appreciate everything the Ark's done for me. I appreciate the fact that, you know, my life's changed immaculately. Like, God's done so much in my life that I don't know if I could ever thank Him. I, there's so much done in my life that I don't know. I'm so proud of you, and you're going on from here. God heals, and I don't care what anyone says, He does. God's real, God heals. Life's a struggle every day, and all I can say to anyone out there who's on drugs or who's been a part of anything is just keep your head up. And I hope to God, and I pray to God that he will help you too, like he's done in my life, because it's a blessing. And I don't think I'd have made it this far without you or anyone else from the Ark, my wife, anybody. Yeah, well, you're very loved, you know, you both are. And if I could adopt you legally, I would. (laughs) Thank you very much. Yeah, you know, you you guys make me so proud because life is a struggle. And a lot of people out there, you know, they they don't uh, they don't admit it, you know, what they're going through. And God can heal every wound. God can help you get through from one one step to the next. And and there's so many people out there. We don't need fakeness. We don't need you know everything's perfect, you know. And, and that's why I'm so proud of you guys. And and you guys are going to go forward. And I'm going to be give the bride away and and. Yeah. See what happens. You guys are getting married, and the babies do. And I'm so proud of you. And I just hope, hope with all my heart, I know that you guys will be just fine. Thank you for being there for us, Dave. I love you a lot. In God's name. Thank you.
I hope that you have enjoyed the last half hour as much as I did. Thank you again to Refuge Ministries Canada for hosting the show. So until next Friday, may God richly bless you with peace, love, and happiness. We at Refuge Ministries are so blessed by the success of Refuge Freedom Stories and podcasts. In addition, we focus on youth prison ministry, release kits, and many other diverse outreaches to the needs of our community. As a nonprofit, there are many costs involved, however, and we are asking for your support. Financial gifts can be made via our website at www.refugeministriescanada.com or by calling 519-701-0108. Your giving makes this work possible, and we thank you in advance for your support. That's 519-701-0108. God bless you.